0: An AJC poll spells trouble for Republicans on abortion. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, well, first, welcome. Second, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Coming up later, Herschel Walker reacts to the AJC poll that shows him behind Senator Raphael Warnock. And he also tells Fox News why he has never spoken publicly about his other children. But first, we want to unpack more details in the brand new AJC poll conducted by the University of Georgia. It gives us a glimpse into how Georgia voters view the Supreme Court's ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade and paved the way just last week for a federal court's decision to allow Georgia's anti-abortion law to take effect. Patricia, let's break down the first AJC poll since this momentous ruling. Uh, First, just over half of likely Georgia voters said they disagreed with the supreme court ruling so majority of georgia voters disagreed with the ruling and about the same proportion opposed the state's anti-abortion laws which outlawed the procedure in most cases once a doctor can detect a fetal cardiac activity that's as early as six weeks before many women even know they're pregnant patricia this is something that democrats expected but now we have firmer numbers that show just how unpopular this ruling and this anti-abortion law really is
1: yeah when Republicans passed that law, they knew that it was not going to have majority support among voters, but they also knew it had a wide majority of support among their own Republican voters. So that really was a base issue. It was delivering on a on a long-time promise. And it really was the time when I think Governor Kemp, early in his administration, felt like he could deliver on this. He had the numbers he needed. They just got it passed with one vote, and they don't have those same numbers in the chambers anymore. So they really did it when they could. And I think that they would do it again if they could. You know, there is very little heartburn on the right in terms of the content of that bill. I think the politics of it though are going to have some effect. But what I think we're seeing in this poll, the numbers are not quite lining up yet. We see that um, when you dig into the cross tabs, this is a very strong motivating factor for forty-two uh, percent of people who said they would be more likely to vote for somebody who opposes the abortion bill, meaning the people who are who don't like this bill, are about twice as likely to vote for somebody who agrees with them over the people who like this bill and said that they would support probably a Republican agrees with that it. it is much more of a motivating factor on the left than it is on the right my question though is we're just not quite seeing that play out in the top line numbers um stacy abrams who is unapologetically opposed to that abortion bill had a huge press conference after the day that we found out that it would be enacted and very angry in that press conference said she was angry extremely emotional about yeah yes exactly so Very emotional about this issue, as are many voters. But she's still trailing Brian Kemp by five, and that's not really much of a difference from where she started the race, even after this bill been enacted. And so. It's just not quite showing up. Maybe it'll show up in other races where the people are not quite as well known. I mean, I feel like Stacey Abrams impression on voters is pretty well baked after 2018. Same thing with Brian Kemp as the sitting governor, pretty well baked after three and a half years as governor. Those down ballot races, this might make more of a difference or this just might make more of a difference over time. We just don't know. But right now we see It's a very strong motivating factor, a majority oppose, and yet Stacey Abrams is still trailing by five.
0: And that really is the key question, right? We, we see exactly. 42% of likely voters said they're more likely to vote for a candidate who wants to protect abortion rights. About a quarter say they're motivated to vote for candidates who want to limit access to the procedure. About one quarter said it makes no difference. So we, we have a plurality of voters who say that it, that it energizes them. But the question, and what Republicans really think is happening, is that those 42% were already going to vote, you know, most of them were already going to vote Democrat. Most of them are already going to vote for Stacey Abrams, for Senator Warnock, for others who want to preserve and protect access to abortion. The question that we can't answer but will be a, a one of the key factors in November is whether or not this issue is leading others who would otherwise sit on the sidelines, either to vote Democratic or, in some cases, to switch parties and switch from the GOP to the Democratic side. Right? And we just don't know that. (laughs) But at the same time, we know that Democrats are, are at least banking some of their political fortunes. They're wagering a bet that it will and that it's not showing up in these polls. And Stacey Abrams, that is why she went out there and said, in her words, she's enraged. You know, she's not just upset, she's enraged by the Supreme Court's decision that paved the way for this anti abortion law to take effect in Georgia. And she's hoping that a wave of voters who otherwise would maybe sit this election out are going to get energized, especially younger voters who she's appealing to. It's a tough bet to make right now. You know, We talked about in our last show how she's five points back in the AJC poll. Most other polls show her at a similar distance. Um, for, so within striking distance, but definitely not in the catbird seat here, definitely the underdog in this race. And she's got a lot of work to do to shore up her own party's base too. of African-American voters support her. That's not the 90 plus percent that she wants to see right now. So this is where this rubber meets the road. We've heard her and Senator Warnock talk about their disgust with the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, We also have some numbers about the U.S. Supreme Court in our poll as well. About 39% of likely Georgia voters said they have very little confidence in the Supreme Court. And a plurality of Georgians across most demographic groups, except for those who see themselves as conservative or Republican, said they have very little confidence. So nearly 19% of all voters polled said they have a great deal of confidence. So, you know, there's a general distrust slash disgust with the Supreme Court. But again, at the same time, Patricia, we're going back to that root question. Is this just affecting voters who are already going to the polls or will this help generate more new voters who usually skip midterm elections or crossover votes, you know, voters who otherwise would have voted Republican to switch parties.
1: Yeah. Also, I think it also raises the question of what does Stacey Abrams need to do to win over more women voters? Um, Right now, she is ahead with women voters, uh, but only by about nine or 10 points. That tends to be a much wider spread when you see a kind of a generic Democrat go up against a generic Republican. Joe Biden had a much wider victory over Donald Trump among women in Georgia than nine points. And so I think that there is some room to grow there for sure. I think that's why she is also presenting economic messaging uh, that shows she would have a very strong arm on the economy. She would be very focused on wages for teachers and cops. She would be very focused on tax refunds. So giving any Middle of the road voters a path to say I uh, trust you on the economy and I feel very strongly on this abortion issue that nine to ten points among women that has got to grow because she is losing male voters by about twenty four points to Brian Kemp right now and I do think the abortion issue is a place where that growth can be built but they obviously have not quite found the messaging yet or else it just hasn't gotten sort of built enough into this electorate that it's moving those numbers in the way that they would like like to see. I think when you look at the state house and state senate races, I think the abortion issue could play a much larger role there. People typically don't know anything about Their
0: state lawmakers, just to be <laughs> frank, especially after redistricting. I mean, yeah. all the lines have been drawn anyway.
1: Who they are, they don't know who they're voting for. So when you have a single issue voter, that is where I think it can make a big difference. And voters now understand that the state level, including those state lawmakers, is where those decisions are made. So if you're somebody who is 42 percent more likely to vote somebody vote for somebody because you believe they might repeal that abortion law, that uh, state lawmaker race is where that could really play a big difference. I also think in the state attorney general's race, it could be a big, um, I don't know if it's going to be a a big factor. I think it could be an important factor. Chris Carr won by a very narrow margin in 2018. Could Jen Jordan use this to push that margin just in the other direction? I think there's potential there as well.
0: Yeah, that might be the race, the statewide race, where abortion access plays the biggest role because Jen Jordan said she wouldn't use taxpayer resources to defend the law against challenges. And we're already seeing our first challenges reach the Fulton County Supreme Court just this past week, while Chris Carr says that's basically a dereliction of duty that, as Attorney General, that you're duty-bound to defend the laws of the state. And If you want to if you wanna make the laws, stay in the legislature, is what he says. I, it's an interesting point you made about state lawmakers, because you're right, A, a lot of people don't know who their state is senators and representatives are, especially after redistricting, redrew the lines after a decade, right? People aren't used to their new boundaries by any means. B, you know, we saw some hints, suggestions, indications that after the 2019 vote on anti-abortion laws, that some suburban Republicans could have suffered that. Their defeats could have been part of the anti-Trump wave anyway in Georgia, but it also, their votes or their party's votes on the anti-abortion laws could have contributed to their defeats. Now we have a lot of Republicans who either are, are supportive of the anti-abortion law or just simply don't want to go revisit it because its it was such a fraught debate. It only passed with one vote to spare in the Georgia House. It was very, uh, it took, a, it exacted a toll on even supporters. Every day was an emotional debate at the Capitol. I, I was witnessing friendships frayed and bipartisanship alliances really put to the test doing this vote. And a number of Republican lawmakers took a walk in the House, especially on the vote, or voted against it, either on the floor or in committee meetings. So it was really fraught debate. But this, Patricia, is another interesting part of our poll, because now there's going to be a push, now that Roe v. Wade was overturned, there's going to be a push from some anti-abortion activists and their allies in the legislature to take more aggressive actions to restrict abortion, where once an outright ban of all abortions, including in cases of rape, incest, or if the life of the woman is in danger— once that was seen as a fringe idea. Now we've got leading candidates for Georgia office, including Herschel Walker, who support a total ban. Brian Kemp personally supports a more restrictive ban. He supports a ban on abortions even in cases of rape or incest. He would just want exceptions if the life of the woman is in danger. So we've got statewide candidates who hold more stringent views of how abortions should be restricted. In our poll it showed about one fifth of Georgia voters say that abortion should be banned outright in Georgia. And a vast majority, nearly two-thirds, say that they oppose such a ban. So this is the next sort of one of the next battlegrounds over the debate over abortion access. We might not see legitimate, you know, a legitimate push next year to ban all abortions, but we could see issues, some measures on the margins. For instance, we talked about how a number of Local prosecutors said they won't seek to enforce cases. Uh, they won't seek to press charges against potential violations of the law. We've already talked to some lawmakers behind the scenes who are discussing ways to punish, penalize, or require those DAs to reverse that position and take action.
1: I really do fully anticipate there will be some horror stories about how this bill is implemented because it is very obvious right now that lawmakers and administrators at this, in the state do not know the full effect of this bill, because they still have not yet written the regulations to specify how a lot of this is going to work. And there will be unanticipated consequences. And so there will be, I don't know how many stories will come out and sort of break out into the public consciousness, but that could really affect the way that people feel about this bill in terms of the way that it's implemented. Also, I think Brian Kemp is perceived to be a little bit less far to the right on this issue than Herschel Walker, because Kemp has signed a bill that did not insist on no exceptions whatsoever, except for the life of the mother. He did sign this bill, which is extremely restrictive and the most restrictive we've ever seen since Roe v. Wade, but it does allow for those narrow exceptions. Herschel Walker's position is no exemptions, period. That is in contrast with, four-fifths of Georgia voters, and it's in direct contrast also with Raphael Warnock's position, although Warnock has been uh, very resistant to say, where would he draw the line? Where should there be some exceptions? Um, When you look at polling, typically most voters are somewhere in the middle of zero restrictions and zero exceptions. So we have a huge contrast on that one issue, and that could certainly drive some votes right there. I do want to fact check myself, if I may, please. Um, I said that. Biden had a bigger <laughs> win among Georgia women than Stacey Abrams is uh, polling right now. It was actually exactly the same. He was at nine point one women by nine points, although Donald Trump only won men by twelve points. And so that is where Brian Kemp is able to expand his lead right now is really among male voters. So Stacey Abrams is still going to need to expand her lead among women voters to offset that in some way and it is clearly something that she's going to have to balance with these economic numbers and economic issues you're going to have i think some voters who are really torn between choosing between these two issues and abrams is going to have to give them a path to say i feel solid about democrats on the economy and they're going to be more closely aligned with how i feel on abortion that's a very thin line to walk right now the economic numbers could improve But we just don't know. So it's, you know, you feel for these campaigns are sort of building their airplanes in the air. Conditions are changing so quickly. But right now, Brian Kemp has to feel really solid about where he is because his numbers just haven't changed much. And they are, he's got a pretty comfortable situation right now. But we'll have to see what happens over time, especially with this abortion issue.
0: Yeah, what Brian Kemp's campaign and his aides and his supporters worry about right now is kind of the uh, flip side of it, which is complacency, right? So many polls have shown him up. Um, he doesn't want his supporters, his donors, uh, his backers to think they've got this in the bag, because no one, no one ever counts Stacey Abrams out, even exactly. even the most confident Republicans on the statewide level. Uh, and Patricia, I'm glad you mentioned the flip side of, of the abortion coin, too, with where it could... Pose problems for Democrats because Republicans like to say that Democrats who haven't set those limits, you know, want to support abortions and up until the to the very end of a pregnancy. We have seen a, a a contrast in how the top Democratic candidates are handling that issue because Stacey Abrams told me in an interview not long ago that if elected governor, she would push legislation to protect the right to an abortion before the point of fetal viability, which right now is considered uh, to be about twenty three weeks into a pregnancy. Senator Warnock, by contrast, has not taken a position when I pressed him on whether he'd support any limits to abortion if there's new legislative push in Congress to reverse the U.S. Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. Instead, he likes to rail against the Supreme Court and talk about how the constitutional protection of women and the rights has been undone, in his words, by an extremist right-wing judges who have ignored precedent. So you are seeing a different stance from Democrats because they know that this could be a vulnerability of theirs as well if Republicans try to argue that they, you know, they would support late-term abortions or the like.
1: I think Warnock's approach is interesting. He has just a philosophically different approach to this. Instead of drawing the line, he said, look, this is not the business of the government to make this decision this is the business of women and their doctors and their pastors or anybody else they want to consult in their own personal lives but he has just fundamentally said this is not the role of government to make this decision for women and there are plenty of women who agree with that
0: this is politically georgia from the atlanta journal constitution
1: hip-hop is a product of black people it's a product of black song
0: And we're back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with your host, Greg Bluestein and your other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We are also two of the authors of The Daily Morning Jolt, which we write way late at night and way early in the morning so you can wake up with what we think is a newsletter that sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics and captures all the different trends and dynamics going around the state. You can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community this very instant by going to subscribe.ajc.com/podcasts, and your first month of unlimited digital access is just ninety-nine cents. That subscribe.ajc.com/podcasts so you always know what's really going on. And we've had a lot of news in our newsletter about the AJC poll. We'll have even more coming out as we continue to release details, Patricia. But we've heard from Herschel Walker's camp about that poll. You know, his aides are actually pretty pleased with his standing. He's three points back. He's just outside the margin of error. He's actually closer to He's 3.6% back behind Senator Warnock. The margin of error is 3.3%. So, the incumbent Democrat has a slight edge, but all things considered, Herschel Walker's camp is okay with where he's standing. Is he's been outspent, he's had a tremendous barrage of negative news coverage, and yet he's still right there. He's still right in the right in the mix. And Republicans really believe that. You know, with Biden's approval ratings in Georgia, he has 60 percent disapproval with that poor disapproval ratings, but also with the economic news and just the other unfavorable factors working against Democrats that even given all of Herschel Walker's problems, he will come out on top. We'll see. (laughs) But Patricia, this is really going to be a close race, it seems like, down to the wire.
1: Well, I think we're looking at definitely, this is probably the floor for Herschel Walker. This is probably the lowest he's ever going to go in a poll right there at about 43%. And we know that because he got a gigantic share of Republican voters in that GOP primary. Most of those voters are going to coalesce behind him. And so, and the people, and you and I have talked to his supporters, they are diehard bulldog GOP, Trump-loving, can't tell me a thing that I don't want to hear about Herschel Walker. They are loyal to him in a way that will not be changed by any amount of press coverage, any bad sound bites, any bad press. It just doesn't matter. So he has a very high floor for a candidate because he has this pre-established identity in the state of people who love him. The question for Herschel Walker and his campaign is this also the ceiling for Herschel Walker? He has been in this race now for many, many months. His position in the polls hasn't really changed a whole lot. And he is not getting out and doing the things that a an ascendant campaign would do. He's still in front of very friendly GOP crowds. He is opening the door a little bit to press, but not a ton. You know, the press he's doing is Fox News and some gaggles, you know, gaggles like little Mm -hmm. mini press conference ahead of time, which is great. Full credit. He still has not committed to these debates, which is becoming very strange. And so he's going to need to change the dynamic to start to win over some voters to his side he's going to need to prove that he can do this job and i haven't seen a major difference in the dynamics of his campaign since he got into it and, you know friendly crowds mostly controlled press coverage talking a lot to fox news until he changes that he's not expanding his appeal they are really riding on this hope that gas prices stay up that the economy is still tanking by the time November rolls around. And he can just ride in on a wave of anti Joe Biden sentiment. I mean, that's a pretty decent bet. But Joe Biden is coming off some of the worst press coverage a president could have. He's at 36% in Georgia. And that is not pushing Herschel Walker up over Raphael Warnock quite yet. So I think that these are very good numbers for Herschel Walker. Absolutely. A regular candidate would be at about 10% after everything that he has said and done. (laughs) To be honest, if this was like Herschel Smith, we would not even be having this conversation. (laughs) Um, And uh, he has definitely earned that goodwill with those Georgia fans who he has. But even, he had had a tiny little slip in a Fox News interview earlier this week. And he said, in talking about why he had not yet accepted any of these debates Mm -hmm. and committed to them. And Brian Kilmeade was pushing him. He said, why haven't you said you'll debate this guy? And he said, you know, I just want, I want it to be for the fans. I don't want it to be for the press or anybody else. And to me, that is a little bit how this campaign is approaching this work right now. These are fans. These are people who love him. These are people who are coming because they're so excited to see him. They're about to jump out of their skins, but there's not a reach across that aisle in any other way than saying, I just want to unite people, but they're not getting in front of different audiences. They're not agreeing to debates. They're not doing anything that's going to kick him up over 43%. And when that changes, I do think these numbers could change, but I don't know when that's going to change. And, you know, they are running out of time at a certain point.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, too. It's a sort of a fan-driven campaign. And you're right, he did slip and say, I want to do this for the fans. I mean, they're voters. they are yeah, voters. voters, right? And a lot of them aren't <laughs> fans. And even a lot of the, his voters are not going to be fans. And we've talked about this, but a lot of his voters who are reluctantly voting for him to vote for a Republican Senate or just to vote against Senator Warnock, you know, they're they're not voting for him because of any deep and abiding love for Herschel Walker. Uh, many of them that we've talked to and many of them that we've heard from have said, you know, that the issues, that the blunders, that the exaggerations, the lies, the falsehoods, the unclarity on stances really concerns them, but that Switching control of the Senate, but that helping Republicans retake control of Congress is more important than to them than voting against Herschel Walker. So that's going to be a dynamic that will be really interesting to watch in this race. And Patricia, we heard from Herschel Walker about the close poll. Here's what he told our colleague Shannon McCaffrey up in Gainesville the other day. Well, I, I think it shows after they spend, what, $25 million and we're still this close, meaning that the people of Georgia are speaking, that they're fed up with this economy, they're fed up with uh, crime on the street, and they're just fed up with the leadership in Washington. They're looking for new leadership. And I think they know in Georgia that's Herschel Walker. It's clearly, he's trying to make this race a referendum on Joe Biden, on Democratic control of Congress. And as you mentioned, not pushing to expand the party's base he is doing events it's it's interesting because yes his public events are all you know with republican friendly crowds the fox news thing at in gainesville on wednesday but you know he's after that shortly after that, he went to gainesville high school and and met with the local football team right like (laughs) it's it's not getting (laughs) headlines he went to a famed barber shop In Buckhead, Wednesday night, Tommy's, you know, which is known for a Republican, I guess, clientele, but also just a kind of a neighborhood gathering spot right next to the okay cafe and the, the goldbergs up in uh, yeah. northwest atlanta near, near buckhead so he's doing events but he's not necessarily gaining press attention for him because frankly he's not telling the press about some of these events yeah i saw he was
1: we, at tommy's this morning when i opened twitter but tommy's is a like a gop no, like yeah. must do i remember karen handled did a campaign event at tommy's yeah. and tommy has all of these uh it's so great he has all of these signs all of these candidate signs and local high school signs, but they're only for Republicans. So they're it's for, definitely so that, that a, a friendly barbershop. Yeah. yeah, that's a
0: friendly one. <laughs> but, you know, going to the high schools and going to, certainly it's friendly too. When Herschel Walker steps onto a high school football field, he's greeted like a star too. But yeah, we haven't seen him do those sort of, go to an unfriendly crowd in public. You're exactly right about that. Well, Patricia, the, one of the other things that came out during his Fox News interview was he, Herschel Walker was pressed on, the children who he has unacknowledged you know he's we've heard him rail against absentee fathers the daily beast story a few weeks ago disclosed that he himself has several children who, who that he didn't previously acknowledge let's hear what he had to say about that Well, I never would be public about it because, you know, one of my kids who wanted to be in the media has gotten a lot of threats. He's gotten a lot of threats. He finished his last year with security guards. So why would I want to talk about any of my other kids and put them at jeopardy, which is what they want to do? They have tried to demonize me. You see, they've spent what, $25 million trying to up against me. uh, Reverend Warnock, Chuck Schumer, and also Joe Biden. And right now you see where I'm at. The polls are showing we're dead even. So that tells you that the People are speaking that that time for a new leader in Washington, that's Herschel Walker. You know, Patricia, after that story came out, we talked about how, yes, it's a, you know, it's another damaging story for Herschel Walker. But we also talked about how Senator Warnock, his allies were not trumpeting it. His campaign, the Democrats campaign was not making a big deal about that because there is this sort of danger in that, because you just heard it, right? Like the, there are going to be some voters who are more drawn to Herschel Walker. Say, hey, leave his personal life out of it. Leave his kids out of it. They don't want to be part of the story. Christian Walker, his son, certainly has been no stranger to social media. He's all over social media. He has all these viral moments and videos and tirades and things like that. And he's a college student. He has every right to to be all over social media. But his other kids, apparently, some of them are minors. Uh, at least one of them is an adult. They don't want any part of this. And so there is that kind of dangerous line that Herschel Walker's critics can struggle to navigate, I should say, with these types of stories.
1: You know, I think, of course, there's political danger for Democrats in sort of uh, rejoicing over news like this. There is, of course, also physical danger to the families of these candidates in this political environment. And I think also it's just a, it's a story, you know, once it was out, I think it just felt very wrong knowing that at least two of these children were minors. Nobody wanted to be digging into that and going further. To me, though, Herschel Walker saying he didn't acknowledge them publicly, he could have his own reasons for not acknowledging them publicly to say that it was because he didn't want them to put in physical danger. That doesn't explain why he didn't tell his campaign about his children. So I think that to me was the strangest part of that story was the fact that his campaign did not know that he had not been fully forthright with them as a candidate. And that is really a path to serious trouble for candidates when they're not leveling with their campaign who can help them navigate these waters so that to me was the relevance of that story for our purposes in terms of having other children who are they they're minors i don't feel that's not the type of thing that i would really want to spend a lot of time reporting on or revealing but to me the campaign piece of it was what was most unusual but the danger the physical danger to these candidates and their families Is very real, unfortunately, in this environment. And I had not heard that Herschel Walker, um, that rather Christian Walker had to have physical protection. And that's just the type of thing you hate to hear about anybody. Um, Certainly, he is provocative on Instagram, but that certainly is not a reason that anybody should be in physical danger. So you hate
0: to hear that. And we've definitely seen a uptick in candidates using their campaign finances to pay for security, right? Uh, Stacey Abrams spends a big chunk of what she's raised on security. Uh, Senator Warnock, Senator Ossoff, you know, they have Senate security. Governor Kemp, his family faced all sorts of horrible threats, especially in 2020 after Donald Trump's lies about election fraud, conspiracy theories involving his daughters that, that, of course, the governor got really upset about. And I don't blame him whatsoever. So yeah, there is a family toll that you hate to see when candidates run for office. Let's segue that to something of, on a brighter note, the Friday mailbag. It is our favorite feature now because we can hear directly from you on the Politically Georgia podcast hotline that is staffed 24-7 by one of our producers, Shane's. Neighbors, kids, I don't know, interns.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can leave the question.
0: What are are your secret audio ways? (laughs) (laughs) Just tell them if you if you don't quit playing in my yard, you're gonna have to you're gonna answer some phones. (laughs) Shane is the original get off get out of my yard guy. Uh, Well, his uh, his neighbors have have delightfully decided to to staff our politically (laughs) Georgia podcast hotline. You can call this at any time of day. Any hour, any moment. His neighbors
1: are up 24 7. His his (laughs) neighbors are up.
0: (laughs) The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Of course, you can also email us. You can record an audio question and just text it or or email it or tweet us it. You know, there's all sorts of ways you can get your question. But this week we have a number of great ones and some awesome prank calls as well. We'll, we'll (laughs) We'll play the actual questions. Let's play the first one. I guess this is from Carlton.
1: Hi, Greg and Patricia This longtime fan of the podcast and listen to it whatever part of the country that I'm in. I had a question regarding former President Trump stating that he might jump into the presidential race before the fall election and wanted to know how you think it would affect the Georgia Senate race. And also, do you think it would make the uh, suburbanites who had flipped to both Biden and the Democrats during the time that Trump was in office uh, stay with the Democrats this time around or split their tickets and help Governor Kemp beat Stacey Abrams?
0: That is a great question. I'll take a first crack at it. I know Republicans here are squeamish about that because – they feel like they've got a good thing going. <laughs> they've got a good dynamic going. They can focus on Biden, Biden, Biden. They don't want Trump to kind of upend the apple cart here. If you're looking from the Trump perspective, there is danger, right? If Republicans do a little worse than expected in November, you know, he could be blamed for that. But if they do just as they're expected or better than expected, he can also take credit for that. And we all know that Donald Trump has no problem taking credit <laughs> for things that had little uh, that he had little to do with as well. He's still, even to this week, is boasting that he helped Governor Kemp win the 2018 primary. And he did. But he likes to say that Kemp was in last place. He wasn't. He was already looking to win the runoff against Casey Kegel. He just went from a six-point lead to like a blowout victory after Donald Trump's endorsement. So, yeah, there's danger. There's squeamishness. And if you're Governor Kemp especially, you just want Donald Trump to stay away from this race. You don't want him to rally for Herschel Walker here. You don't want him to talk about Georgia much because that just opens a whole can of worms. They've had this detente. They've had this sort of neutrality going around since David Perdue got walloped in the May primary against Governor Kemp. You know, we haven't heard Donald Trump rail against Brian Kemp really at all since May. And I think Governor Kemp's folks, well, I know Governor Kemp's folks would love to keep it that way.
1: I think it would be horrible for Republicans if Donald Trump announced before the midterms, especially for Herschel Walker. I think that Herschel Walker right now has had a nice plateau of time away from Donald Trump so that he's not so closely associated as the Donald Trump candidate. If Donald Trump runs for president, you immediately start to see Herschel Walker less as Herschel Walker and more as a vote for the Trump agenda and a vote to support Donald Trump. Um, That is not a winning formula in the state of Georgia, as we have learned over and over and over. I think Brian Kemp would be okay because he has so effectively walled himself off from the donald trump momentum up or down Mm -hmm. he is brian kemp has proven in his primary he is his own man and that's not the case for all republicans in georgia but brad raffensperger and brian kemp i think donald trump was right he did help brian kemp win in may because a lot of democrats not a lot of Democrats, an important minority of Democrats crossed over to vote for Brian Kemp in that primary. Donald Trump strengthened Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger by putting them in that untenable position to choose either your state constitution or the ex-president of your party. Who are you going to (laughs) pick? Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger picked the the laws of Georgia, and that's helped them immeasurably in 2022. Um, So I think they would both be really They are their own brands at this point, thanks to Donald Trump. Other Republicans in the state, not so much, especially Herschel Walker. So if uh, Donald Trump gets into analysis for president before November, and I kind of expect him to, it just seems like he can't help himself. um, I think that hurts Herschel Walker.
0: Yeah, I don't think there'll be any surprise when he does announce before November or if he announces just shortly after. But I don't think there's any doubt that he is going to run for president, giving us a really interesting 2024 cycle. (laughs) Yeah. And Shane, I think we've got one more question. Hey, y'all. I'm Colin. I'm
1: a recently converted listener from the Doug Robinson Atlanta United podcast. That's fantastic. But um, I hear all this talk about the new abortion law is about when cardiac movement can be detected, excuse me, is that in the individual cases or the earliest possible it could be detected? Is there a potential loophole here where if cardiac uh, activity is not detected, even after the two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, wherever it is in the individual women in her uh, in her timeline, is that somewhere that it could be if it's seven or eight weeks if there's no cardiac activity detected that abortion could go through?
0: Yeah, if y'all could let me know, I'm really curious about
1: that. And uh, thanks for everything y'all do. Y'all are awesome. Uh, yes, that's a great question. And uh, that I can tell you that's a great question because that was the question during the debate on this bill. What exactly does that mean for Georgia women? How can they know how it applies to them in a situation where fetal cardiac activity has not been detected yet? And the reason we use that term, it sounds so strange, fetal cardiac activity, because the actual heart of the fetus has not been formed at that early stage yet of five, six, seven, eight weeks. So the reality is that that is a very elastic time frame. It could be as early as five weeks gestational age or as late as eight weeks. And so as a uh, caller last week so rightly pointed out, that does that does not mean five weeks of pregnancy. It is actually two weeks less. It is uh, dated back to the date of a woman's last period, not to get too uh, into the uh, details of that, but that just is what it is. And now that we're legislating about it, we're going to have to talk about it. So for women, they do not know is that when I'm five weeks pregnant, eight weeks pregnant, there's really no way to know until you go in to a doctor's office and they will tell tell you, if they have detected cardiac activity at that point, it is too late for you to consider having access to an abortion. The law now applies to you. And that is what is so, I think, for abortion access activists, there are just so many words in that. Um, For abortion access proponents, that is the problem. One of the many problems with this law is that women just don't know when it's going to apply to them. When they find out it applies to them, it is too late.
0: Yeah, Patricia has a great column just a few days ago about the few unknowns, the many unknowns in the anti-abortion law that just took effect last week. So we're still trying to sort all this out. The battle is shifting to courthouses, the battle is shifting to local governments, the battle is shifting in many different dynamic ways, and we will be covering all of them at the AJC. Now is our time for our segment about who's up and who's down. Patricia, you go first. Who,
1: who's up? So I'm going to give a dark horse. The who's up is Joe Biden is who's up at the end of this week's podcast. And that is because there has been a major breakthrough on this long languishing reconciliation bill. There is a been an agreement now between Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin. Now they actually have to pass that bill. But the fact that they have Joe Manchin on board is a really big deal. And embedded in that bill is a laundry list of wishes and best case scenarios for Democrats that they have been working on for 20 years. And that includes letting Medicare negotiate the cost of prescription drugs with drug companies that has been verboten and a democratic effort for more than 20 years. There is a tax on carried interest. That's a really kind of technical term for taxing the gains on people who kind of make all of their income from investments. It's sort of an anti Wall Street effort. There's a big piece on that for climate change. And so there are a ton of Democratic wins Wins in that bill. And they have just not even been able to get out of their own way on that bill. Mm-hmm. It looks like they finally have an agreement. And so if Joe Biden can get that across the finish line, and they also just got a big bipartisan win on a chips bill that Raphael Warnock and Buddy Carter and David Scott were very involved in, meaning that semiconductors can finally start to be produced more domestically than overseas in China. Every piece of electronic equipment, including your car, needs tons of chips just to function. They got that bill across the finish line this week. So Joe Biden ends the week on a rather high
0: note, despite the fact that his approval
1: ratings are in the low 30s. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so he's my unlikely uh, who's up this week. I did not go with the dark horse. I went with the obvious. The, uh, who's up this week <laughs> for me is the incumbents. Governor Camp, Senator Warnock, the split ticket dynamic in Georgia. Both those incumbents pulled very well. In the AJC UGA poll that we released this week, they're both, uh, you know, in solid standing they're definitely not out of the woods it's definitely these races will tighten there's still a number of undecided voters and there's still much room for Stacey Abrams and for Herschel Walker to make up that lost ground we see it in the polls Stacey Abrams particularly with um, black voters and Herschel Walker with frankly it's just with Kemp supporters Herschel Walker's one of his biggest problems is that 4% of Kemp voters are voting for Raphael Warnock and 4% of Kemp voters are voting for the Libertarian and another 6 or 7% are undecided so right there You know, if he can close the loop, it's not that easy, but if he can close that loop, he's gained some ground on Raphael Warnock right there. Patricia, who's your who's down?
1: My who's down is Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. She had a major public rebuke from the judge overseeing the special grand jury investigating Donald Trump. Um, She's been taken off of the Burt Jones piece of that case. And there was just a very public um, sort of dressing down by the judge who said this is not just an appearance of conflict. It is an actual conflict of interest. Also, you're on national TV too much. It was just the first time that we've really seen her hit a speed bump on any of her efforts in office, to be honest with you. She's had a really great run. This is certainly not, uh, you know, this is not career ending by any chance. It's just a little bit of a, um, just to have that kind of public rebuke. And then the very real fact that Burt Jones now has been taken off the list of targets, and that's going to have to wait until there's another set of prosecutors assigned to him. So he was my runner up who's up
0: because it was
1: an absolutely fabulous week for Burt Jones. His fortunes really reversed quite quickly. At the beginning of this week,
0: that's a great point. This was a great week for Bert because he's also ahead of Charlie Bailey in, his, in our poll, about by four or five points, outside the margin of error. And yeah, he that was a big victory for him. And it doesn't look like the prosecuting attorney's counsel is going to rush to find a new investigator who will look into the Burt Jones case at all. So that is a victory for him. My who's down is a is another down ticket candidate. Being when the state representative who was the only of all the candidates of all the races we polled the. Only clear, clear and convincing lead, and of course things will change and tighten. But the only candidate with a double-digit lead was Brad Raffensperger, the Republican incumbent Secretary of State. That just to me illustrated how tough it will be for Democrats to flip that office. Because you know a year ago we thought Brad Raffensperger wasn't even going to qualify, or at least some people thought that, including me. And now we're in the position where, at least by the AJC poll, he is looking like he's going to run away with this race, right? Uh, again, things will tighten. They always do. But we have 16% of Democrats who are willing to cross over and vote for Brad Raffensperger. That completely blunts it, overwhelms any semblance, any vestige of Republicans, you know, the Donald Trump diehards who say they'll vote against him or won't vote at all in that race. And we're seeing that. We're also seeing how much harder it is for Democrats to run against someone like Brad Raffensperger, who famously stood up to Trump's attempts to overturn the election. They wanted to pull Jody Heiss, you know, who was willing to to bend over backwards to support Trump's lies about election fraud. And instead, they're faced with Brad Raffensperger. So it's going to be a very tough race for Democrats. Um, and Bean Nguyen gets my who's down for the week Well, that is going to do it for another edition of Politically Georgia. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday and every Friday, or really whenever big news breaks. So we will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist.